you have a Bible with you or if you want to grab one from the pews, you can open it up, turn it to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, that's in the New Testament, so about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Mark 8, starting at verse 27. This is what it says. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. We've been working through a series here at Chalmers called Multiply, where we are wanting to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking about how do we die to ourselves? Now, early on in Jesus' ministry, he was really good at drawing large crowds. People wanted to hear the new kid on the block teaching and interpret the law, but more than that, they wanted to see and experience the miracles. People were getting healed by Jesus. People were being freed from demonic affliction by Jesus. People were coming back to life again by Jesus. And the crowds came to watch and to listen to this new religious teacher, Jesus. And his critics, especially the other religious leaders of the day, they would ask, who is this man? Why does he teach this way? By what authority does he do these things? Who is this man? This is a question asked by many. In fact, there were many theories out there. One theory was that he was John the Baptist, who had been recently killed. He was beheaded. And some thought that this is John the Baptist come back from the dead. Others had thought, no, this is Elijah. Because Elijah had never actually died. He was taken up in a whirlwind, and he was promised to come back to prepare the people for the Messiah. Others said, maybe he's a prophet, maybe one of the older prophets. Maybe he's a new prophet come to bring the people back to God. And as we read in Mark chapter 8, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. Jesus accepts Peter's answer. It's a good answer. It's the right answer. Jesus accepts Peter's answer, but then he goes on to redefine what does that mean. What do the words Messiah, Son of God, Son of Man, what do these things mean? Jesus quickly teaches Peter and the other disciples that the Messiah is not what they expect. In fact, 
The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed. And three days later, rise again. See, Jesus was going to be going down a road that was not going to be easy. It was going to be filled with suffering and rejection. In fact, it was going to lead him to death, being crucified, and then later being raised. And Peter couldn't handle this. Probably most of the disciples didn't understand it. Peter didn't understand it, and he definitely couldn't handle what he says. In in Matthew, we read that Peter says this, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. I won't let this happen to you. You see, suffering and death did not fit into Peter's understanding of the Messiah. And so he pushes back. The Messiah was supposed to come in glory and power, not suffering and death. But there may also be a hint here that maybe Peter understood that if the Messiah, if Jesus had to suffer and die, what did that mean for the Messiah's disciples? What did that mean for the followers of the Messiah? What would that mean for Peter? If there was no resurrection for Jesus without death, there would be no resurrection for the disciples without death. So Jesus highlights and and redefines his true identity in Mark 8. Second thing that we see here is Jesus' true calling. Jesus' true calling. Jesus never once buttered someone up to follow him. He never pleads with people to accept him. He knows that the road to Easter goes through the cross. The road to new life goes through death. And to be a disciple of Jesus means that we need to sacrifice not just a little bit, but everything. And he calls us to die to ourselves to live for him. The Gospel of Matthew says it this way. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. I hate putting in illustrations that happened just like yesterday because it might make people think that like I wrote this yesterday. I didn't. But I want to share a quick story. So... My family and I went down to Burlington for my mom's birthday. I won't tell you which one it is. It was a big one. And as we were getting ready to go, somewhere around dinner time, my mom looked at me and said, are you staying here or are you, are you preaching tomorrow? And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm going back. We're going back tonight. I'm preaching tomorrow. And one of the people who was there said to me, oh, what are you speaking on? What's the idea of tomorrow's message? And so I said, well, it's about dying to ourselves and and how we need to surrender everything to Jesus in order to follow him. You know, when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he really meant it. And so we need to surrender absolutely everything. And my relative looked at me and he said, you mean like some things, right? I was like, no, everything. Well, but like not Everything, everything, right? And I looked at him and I said, no. Jesus said everything. As I thought about that response, 
I think that's the response that many of us take as well, right? We want Jesus for all that he wants to give us, but as soon as we start hearing about sacrifice, as soon as we start thinking about that Jesus might actually ask us for something, we get a little offensive. And then when we hear that actually Jesus wants everything, we're not sure that we really want to buy into that. In October of last year, I did something like this. I shared an illustration of this idea of dying to ourselves. And I want to share it quickly with you again today because I like playing with ping pong balls and because I thought it was a good illustration for us to be refreshed with. When we think of the need to die to ourselves or to die to sin, it's fairly abstract and it might be hard for us to understand. What do we mean by that? What we mean by that is this. Each and every one of us is born into sin. We're born because of the decision that our ancestors made. We are born separated from God. We are born in sin, which means that everything that is true of sin is true of us. We are separated from God because God cannot be in in relation with sin. We are separated from the author of life, and when you have a separation from the author of life, you get death, and so we deserve death, and we're kind of stuck here, and every single person is stuck in this container. Jesus then comes into the picture and walks the road as the Messiah, and he suffers and is rejected and killed, and he experiences death in our place. You see, Jesus was born not into sin. He was born outside of sin. And yet, he chose to live with us. And he chose to go to the cross for us. And when he died, he experienced death that he did not deserve for us. And so, when Jesus dies, he doesn't deserve death. We deserve death. He didn't. And because of that, we now can be forgiven. Because he's taken our consequence of how we were born on himself. And he's done that not just for you, but for you and you and all of us and all of the world forever time. And so now we have a choice. We can choose to just continue on as we always do. We can choose to say, no, you know what? I want to be in control of my own life. I don't want any handouts. I don't want any forgiveness. I'm going to work hard to try to get new life in my own life. But the problem is that no matter how hard we try, we can't switch camps. We can't get into the new life that Jesus Christ offers. I wish we could, but we can't. There is no to-do list long enough. There is no sacrifices or, you know, be on the PTA, give to charity, all those kind of things. It doesn't work that way. We're stuck here, but Jesus has made a way for us to get out. And the way for us to get out is to die. The way for us to get out of our life of sin is to die. Now, I'm not talking about a physical death, but I'm talking about 
our spiritual death to ourselves. Because as long as we want to live for ourselves, we're not willing to receive the new life that Jesus offers us. Because, you see, the new life that Jesus offers us is with him in control. And so, for us to move from death to life, from sin to Christ, we need to die to ourselves. We need to experience an actual spiritual death so that we might be resurrected in Christ. That's not easy. Let's just be honest with ourselves. That's not easy. In fact, not only takes once in a lifetime, but it takes us continually surrendering ourselves to Christ. The road that Jesus calls us on to move from death to life is not an easy one. The road that he calls us on means that we need to die to ourselves, die to our sin, but we also need to die to our own control, die to our own power, die to our own plans. We need to put to death our earthly hopes and our earthly dreams. We need to bury our own agendas and consider them dead in order to be resurrected in Christ. And that's not easy. Let me just be really clear that if you're thinking to yourself, wow, that's a high calling, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. And so this road from death to life is not easy. And many people do not take the road because of that. The road to dying to yourself is painful. The road to the cross brings suffering. And many people choose not to follow it. In Mark 10, we read about a man who wanted to move from death to life. He wanted eternal life. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to get from here to here? What do I have to do? And this was a good man. I mean, he had a checklist in his back pocket. This is what I've done in my life. I've kept all of these laws. I, you know, I, I try to keep myself away from sin. Jesus, am I good enough to go from here to here? Or have I missed a check mark? In fact, if there was a way to be good enough, this man probably would have found it. The problem is that that's not how we receive eternal life, right? We don't receive eternal life by earning it. We receive eternal life freely by the gift of God. And what happens in Mark chapter 10 is that Jesus looks at the man and he loves him. He loves him. He knows that this man wants eternal life. And that's a good thing. But then Jesus says this, One thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now again, please, this is not a blanket statement. This is not saying that everybody who wants to go from here to here has to sell everything they have, give to the poor, and follow Jesus. It means that you got to follow Jesus. And the problem was that this man, he was rich in earthly wealth, and his wealth needed to die. Jesus saw in this man's life that his wealth was getting in the way of him following Jesus. You see, this man wanted to follow Jesus in luxury. He wanted his cake and to eat it too. And Jesus tells him, your wealth is in the way. 
So you need to get rid of that wealth, and then you can follow me. If we are really willing to put Jesus in the place in our lives that he deserves, if we are really willing to put Jesus as number one in our lives and allow everything else in our life to submit to him, then we die to ourselves and we live for him. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6. And he uses this illustration of dying to ourselves and being raised in Christ. And again, I shared this in October. He uses the word baptism here, baptized. And when we think of baptism, we usually think of having to do with water. But the Greek word means to be immersed or to be placed in. And so when we're thinking about what he's saying here, he's saying that we need to die to ourselves to be placed into Christ. That's what he says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When we die to Christ, when we are placed into Christ's death, we are also brought into his resurrection. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And just a little bit later in in that chapter. So in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. And so when we choose to surrender our life to Christ, when we choose to say, Jesus, I'm just not doing a good job living my life the way you want me to, and it's because I'm in control. I'm behind the steering wheel on this one, and that's not my place. And so, Lord, I want you to take over the steering wheel, and I'm going to sit in the passenger seat and enjoy the ride. When we allow God to be the one in control of our lives, then we find that life is good in him. Now, there's a lot of concern about this, and I know I've heard from many people before, and I've I've felt it in my life before. If I surrender this part of my life to Jesus, what's going to happen to it? You know, if I surrender my wallet to Jesus... Am I going to have to give everything to the poor? And then I become poor? And how how does that work? If I give my family to Jesus, what's that going to look like? If I give my hopes and my dreams to Jesus, what's that going to look like? I'm in a relationship with someone that maybe isn't the right relationship for me. If I give that to Jesus, what's going to happen to that relationship? We focus on the death part and forget about the resurrection part. The death took three days and then there was new life. And so I want to tell you about Jesus' true life as we end this. 
When we die to ourselves, when we die to those earthly ambitions, those earthly control, the earthly power of praise and glory and dreams, when we die to ourselves, we allow God to resurrect us in Christ. When we are resurrected in Christ, what happens is that we become like Christ. And everything that is true of Christ is true of us. We now become children of God. We now become freely forgiven. We now become purified, righteous in God's sight. We move into new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Well then, Brian, what about those things that we buried? What about those things, those ambitions, those hopes, those dreams, those relationships? What happens to them? When we're in Christ... We either allow God to replace those hopes and dreams and relationships or to resurrect them. You see, if there's something in our lives that isn't healthy for us, but that we're holding on to, that may stay dead. And God will come and he will bring something new instead. He will replace that with something else. If we surrender something that actually is good for us, that was healthy to begin with, then he will resurrect it. Now with him in control. Let me give you a few examples. If I like to be in control of my finances, and I, I, you know, I, I'm planning for the future, and, and that RRSP that I've just been building into and building into has kind of become a god in my life, That's a problem. Because that is going to get in the way of me following Christ. Because what happens if Christ tells me, hey, you need to have a job change. I'm going to move you from here to there. Your company has now asked you to do something that isn't true, isn't right. They've asked you to lie. They've asked you to cover something up. And now you have a problem. Do I follow Christ and maybe lose my job? Or do I not follow Christ because I'm worried about my financial security? You see, what happens is that when we die to ourselves and we allow God to take that financial security and we put our financial security in His hands, then we can go to work and if we have to quit our jobs, we quit our jobs. And if we have to move, we move. And if the market tanks, we don't go into huge depression because we know that God is in control and that he will provide for us. And if those things don't happen and we just carry on our day, but we've given God control, then we still have given him control. That RRSP might be absolutely fine. But we don't worry about it. We don't lose sleep about it because... It's not our God anymore. How about this one? Family. This is, a, this is usually a real big one for parents. When you talk about dying to yourself, when you talk about surrendering everything to God, that includes your kids, that includes your spouse. That's hard. 
Like, we can become mama and papa bears to our kids, right? We can kind of hover around them. We, we want the best for them, right? And sometimes we think that we know the best for them. But when you have your kids on a pedestal, when you have your family on a pedestal, first of all, that's not healthy for anyone. Second of all, they become your God. And you're doing everything in your life for them and not for God. You want them to become good citizens. You want them to excel in sports. You want them to excel in school. You want them to achieve so that it looks good on you. And when you put the kids as number one, they become your God. But when you die to yourself, you have to also die to your family as well. And then allow God to resurrect that family with him in control. Because family isn't a bad thing. He gave you that family. It's a good thing. But he needs to be in control. And when he is number one in your life, then it's not about achievement. It's not about the praise and the glory and all those kind of things. It's about how do I help these kids, whether they're this tall or this tall, to follow Christ in their life. How do I parent from a godly, Christ-honoring perspective? How do I serve my kids and help them to serve the world? One more for you. What if you had a dream? Maybe your dream was to be married. Maybe your dream was to have kids, and that just hasn't been happening. And you've been trying to force things to happen. You've been trying to force a relationship to be a good relationship. It's just not. But you think, you know what? This is, I'm in an okay relationship. I know this person's not great for me, but, but you put that dream, that hope as your God. And if you are going to die to yourself, then you need to allow that relationship to die and either allow God to resurrect it or to replace it. And maybe that means that God gives you another dream. Maybe God is going to call you into singleness and that's going to be and he will give you a passion for that. Maybe God will resurrect that, and that the relationship that you were in was just getting in the way of you being in the right relationship. Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, he talks about dying to ourselves, dying, those things that we thought were so valuable in our lives and, and burying them. This is what he says about that. Philippians chapter 3, 7 to 11. He says, But whatever were gains to me, whatever I thought was valuable, whatever I thought was my focus, whatever was, was number one in my life, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Friends, when you die to yourself and you come back in Christ, you realize everything else rubbish of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things I consider them garbage, rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith I want to know Christ yes, to know the power of his resurrection 
and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Friends, I recognize that, that there are probably some people here who are feeling like this is pretty heavy. And right now they're thinking, okay, I have this thing in my life that I haven't allowed God to be part of, and I'm worried that if I allow him to be part of it, what's going to happen to it? I want to let you know, I recognize that, I respect that you might have something heavy in your life. I want to let you know that when we die to ourselves, we actually die to our whole life. And that may actually mean, literally, that God may call you somewhere to something where you may lose your life. January 8, 1956, five missionaries were called to share Christ with the Harani tribe in Ecuador. January 8, 1956, five missionaries were killed just trying to share Christ with a tribe in Ecuador. Jim Elliott, one of those missionaries, says this, He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Fifty years later, Christ is in that tribe in Ecuador. Hundreds of people have come to know Christ because five men were willing to give up their lives to follow Christ. Jesus says this, unless a kernel of wheat falls on the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So I want to ask you today, I want to invite you today to sift your heart. And are there things in your life that you have not allowed Christ to have control of? Are there things in your life that you have not opened to Christ? Have you said, God, I will follow you, but... I want to invite you today to choose to give him full and complete control. And then I want to invite you tomorrow to give him full and complete control. And then on Tuesday, I want to invite you to give him full and complete control. Because Paul talks about in, in Romans 12 that we are living sacrifices. And the problem with a living sacrifice is that we may say, God, I want you to have complete control of my life. I'm going to lay on this altar. I surrender myself to you. And we have a habit of crawling off the altar. And if you've crawled off the altar, I just want to invite you to bring yourself back to him today. Just to give him everything. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, you call us to, to come and to die. Die to ourselves, die to our own control. And Lord, if we really think about it, those hopes and dreams and ambitions and control that we think that we have control of, we really don't have a whole lot of control of. But you are the God of the universe. You are the one who puts every star into place. You are the one that puts every hair on our heads. You are the one who counts the sand on the seashore. You are the one who is infinitely greater and better. And God, we need to give you the control. We need to give you the glory. We need to 
just surrender our hearts to you. And, and so, Father, I pray right now that whatever is getting in the way of us just completely dying to ourselves right now, this very moment, that you would take that away from us. Father, that you would bring that thing to our mind that we have just not allowed you to have. And that as you bring it to our minds, that we would just offer it to you, that we would consider it dead. And invite you to either resurrect it or to replace it. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you that that if it was all about death, we would be in such depression. But that with you, you bring new life. And we praise you for what we considered praiseworthy, we now consider garbage for the sake of knowing you. And Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here right now who just has never known you, has never given their whole life to you, I just pray that you would speak into their heart right now, that you would show them and remind them of your love, that you would tell them right now in their heart that you are worth following with everything that we have. And if, if you're someone here who's, who's on that fence, who's not sure whether you really want to surrender at all, I just pray that you would pray this with me. Lord, I, I recognize that I want that control, that I, I want that piece of me still to be me. And yet I know that it needs to be in your hands. It needs to be for you. And so, Lord, in this moment, I just lay it all down, and I lay myself down for you. I ask that you would forgive me, that you would kill myself and that you would bring me into new life in Christ right now. That you would resurrect what is healthy and good for me and that you would bring new things into my life for your glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.